0: Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on today's class. We're so excited to uh, be learning with uh, Rabbi Menashe East. Uh, super, um, super, super great Torah to start off this morning. Uh, rabbi Menashe East is, is a senior rabbi at Mount Freedom Jewish Center in Randolph, New Jersey. He is also LCSW with a concentration in sex therapy. Currently, Rabbi Menashe is on staff as an adjunctive, uh, adjunct professor at the Words. Wordsweiler School of Social Work. Uh, Maneshi is married to Donna Amdur, and they have five children. Super happy to have you, Rabbi East, here with us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, before um, before you started, Ravavi was on the line. It's really nice to have Ravavi. With, so I know he was. Uh, he and Shmuley, Shmuley are together, and uh, I think Ravavi was saying really nice things, and I, I appreciate it very much. And it's uh, always wonderful to see you, Ravi. I'm happy to be here to discuss a little bit about loneliness and uh, some ways of thinking about loneliness and hopefully encouraging us to uh, broaden our sensitivity and our, um, our sort of emotional connection to people going through difficult time. Um, so with that, should I, I'm able to share. Okay, so I'm going to jump right into the text. I know we're all short on time during lunch here, wherever, or... Ever, or A late breakfast in Phoenix. So here's my screen here. Comes through okay? Okay, great. So, um, as Eddie said in the introduction, um, I work as a shul rabbi, um, and I also do some, uh, some work as a therapist as well, and in both capacity. Um, I there is just a, a regular, a constant interaction with people who, who are lonely and going through tremendous suffering from this experience of loneliness. And it's something that which touches um, me personally. It touches me in my, in my work and it afflicts, um, it afflicts me personally at times, too, as I'm sure it does many of us. We encounter loneliness, and um, and I, and I wanted to really spend time um thinking about and wanted to sort of develop some language that would be helpful for myself and hopefully useful for other people as we think about encountering loneliness. This is um, the epidemic of loneliness, um, is, was the focus of the advisory by the Surgeon General Murthy, who um, who Takes this on now. This is his recent advisory uh, by the Surgeon General takes this on as the sort of the key um, health need, health crisis in this country. And this is just a, a, a brief excerpt from that advisory. I, I uh, referenced it here. The link to the advisory, you can just look for it. The Surgeon General's advisory. Just take a look at it. It's really quite compelling. Um, just to appreciate the the extent and the and the research that he's done. And his team has done. So social connection is a fundamental human need as essential to survival as food, water, and shelter. Throughout history, our ability to rely on one another has been crucial to survival. Now, even in modern times, we human beings are biologically wired for social connection. Our brains have adapted to expect proximity to others. Our Distant ancestors relied on others to help them meet their basic needs. Living in isolation or outside the group means having to fulfill the many difficult demands of survival on one's own. This requires far more effort and reduces one's chances of survival. Despite current advancements that now allow us to live without engaging with others, food delivery, automation, remote inter- entertainment, our biological need to connect remains. And he goes on to make an important distinction, social isolation and loneliness are related, but they are not the same. Social isolation, social isolation is objectively having few social relationships social roles, group memberships, and infrequent social interaction. On the other hand, loneliness is a subjective internal state. It's a distressing experience that results from perceived desolation unmet need between individuals preferred in actual experience. That's what we're looking at, is the loneliness of the subjective internal emotional psychological experience that is um, becoming a plague and something that I, that needs our attention and um, is is the demand of our, of our day right now. So I want to look at, um, first, a little bit of an introduction to some of the literature around the need to emphasize and to, to care for. Um, it's probably yeah, de rigueur in this group that mental health is as significant as physical health, but it bears looking at some sources and looking at, at particularly as it relates to loneliness. First, text that we see where God says in Genesis chapter 2 It's not good for man to be alone make him a fitting helpmate later on then it says God gives Adam the responsibility to name all of the beasts and the birds and for Adam he finds no helpmate for himself and so that's when Eve is created fashioned from Adam's side it's interesting here in the text is that God identifies that there is a, a need that's missing in Adam's life, and then Adam himself must come to it from his own experience, from his own recognition that he he is missing something too. He names all the beasts and sees that he doesn't have a, a helpmate. The Midrash, Midrash Rabbah, sees that. Adam finds no fitting helpmate. Surprising. Why doesn't man... Have, have woman created beside him from the outset? Why wait? should. The answer can leave us feeling a bit wanting because you knew that in the future um, that there was going to be this crisis in, in the garden, that Eve was going to give the fruit, and he was going to have someone to blame. So if Adam didn't ask for her, there would be this um, the claim that you brought this to me of your own free will, God, you saw it wasn't good and you made woman for me and look what happened. It was a crisis and you're to blame and the casting out of Eden is your fault. It's not, I shouldn't be blamed for it. So Adam has to ask for it. That's not really what I want to focus on. The question that the Midrash says is why doesn't man and woman, why aren't they created one in the same simultaneously or one right after the other? And so that, that to me is the, is the key point is that Adam recognizes it there's a recognition that he's missing something. Only after God says God says so, that Adam recognizes and says, "I, in fact, agree. I experience this emotional need." So there's almost a existential reality, and then there's a human experience of that missing piece in his life, and that's when then God fills that need. So this is both this, this two part experience in terms of loneliness. Just to look at some of the literature about um, uh, mental health. You see a very famous text, which many communities read on Friday nights, it comes from the second chapter of, of um, Shabbat. It's Bameh uh, And the Mishnah in chapter 2, verse number 5, uh, Mishnah number 5, says if you extinguish a candle because of a person who is afraid of um, of non-Jewish people in his community, because of this theme, because of thieves, is a, a danger. Rahra is the language that's a very, particularly important because there's a, an evil spirit right? If a person needs to extinguish for that, patur, it's exempt. And that exemption in a lot of places in the laws of Shabbat is is exempt, but forbidden. In this context, it's not, it's exempt and necessary. It's an exception to that language, the legalistic language. It's patur and exemption and is a a demand, is a requirement. So a person who suffers from ruach ra, this experience of an evil spirit, something overcomes him, that is necessary. Is not a violation of Shabbat. What is ruach ra? Maimonides defines that as ruach arkot hanikra ba'aravi. He says this is like the evil spirit that's described in Arabic. Is malconia, which sounds like I assume melancholy. There are types of illnesses where a person runs out of illness separates himself from Teva and oshi ama he separates himself from natural human experience and when he sees the light light becomes so there's a there's a, a light sensitivity we have to shirk from the light and hide in the darkness and when he connects with another person to do the person rather than than um, finding connection in a social setting, rather prefers to be in the darkness, be in isolation. So this is the, the experience uh, of preferencing um, loneliness even, specifically because of a ruach, rah, this, the spirit, this melancholy that overcomes depression that may overcome. And Khatam Sofer, the great Hungarian Possek um, in the early early modern period, uh, responded to a question about a child, very famous responsa. About a child who was um, diagnosed with a, um, a mental illness. The Shoten, the language language, is, it's, it's uh, uncomfortable to read that with the modern Hebrew tongue. It means foolishness. But in, in Halakhic language, it, it meant um, someone who's mentally ill, going through a mental health crisis, and wants to know. About this about this child, the, the shoel the one who's wondering what to do with this child about institutionalizing this child. There's a question coming up uh, you know, four four hundred plus years ago or something like that um, in uh, in Hungary, and can we institutionalize this child? And in that space where he's going to be institutionalized, he would be fed non kosher food. That's the particular halacha concern. So so he says. Um, it's the a longer response. I chose the piece to please check it out in its entirety. If he is so disabled, mentally disabled from his illness, that he's exempt from all mitzvot, of mikol It's forbidden to hand a uh, with your own hands to feed a person something, do something with your hand that would cause them to violate sin. tam if you were to assume that putting this child into the Beit Chinuch, which is the place of education, it's the institute. He's being institutionalized. Very interesting language to think about Chinuch. Beit Chinuch, nowadays is a school. We think about a school, I, joking a little bit. Um, I often have felt like being in school has been an institution. And I'm worried for my kids too, but that aside. Um, but the reality is that this child is being put into an institution for mental uh, for mental health purposes. So let's assume that that's is that like adding a prohibition through my own intervention? I'm, I'm literally handing him putting non-kosher food into his mouth. Nevertheless, he says it's permissible. In order to relieve him from that state. In order to bring it back to his faith. Best to violate Torah for a short time, temporarily. It's that he observes. You may be familiar with the language. It's like he he analogizes it to the situation of a person who goes walking through the desert. And so he doesn't know what time Shabbat. He's lost in the desert. He's stranded. He's not sure what time Shabbat is. Would be prohibition for him, possibly prohibition to walk um, a certain amount, right? The two thousand amos. He's not allowed to walk a certain um, distance without having an enclosed area. So if he's going, it might be Shabbat, so he shouldn't walk. He <much in> shouldn't do more than would be other than life-saving measure. <much in> Shabbat. It might be Shabbat. <much> Nevertheless, <in> he should walk as much as he needs to. If were not the case, he would never arrive to the desert, a, a, a inhabitation. He would never arrive to a place of residents, check it out over there. He it says it's a uh, citation of elsewhere. Hachanami here too. In the case of the child who's being institutionalized, if I don't feed him now, things even if they're prohibited, he'll never recover and never be in the state of optimal performance of Torah obligation. And that's what's driving the Khatam so fair, saying, "Let's get this this child back to optimal performance, his mental health." Is um, an obstacle for that. Let's let's re- let it help him recover. In modern response, uh, a Asher Weiss in his Minchat Asher's response to Minchat, that's beautiful. Uh, responds as uh, he he cites the Chatam Sofer dealing with um, a concern about a child who a student who is suffering from OC, the obsessive compulsive disorder, he has to do certain activities over and over until he feels like they're perfectly done, even if they would be otherwise seemed to me and to you that it would be. Appropriate and acceptable and correct, he has is compelled to to do it over and over. Um, so what did, what to do for that child? And here the the student and here the responsa is for the most for the most part. This student is unable to say a bracha, couldn't say the Shema according to halach with the right intent. Sometimes spends it would miss the time frame that Shema would have to be said. Sometimes spends a lot of time trying to say God's name properly to no avail. Experiences great anguish because of that. According to the doctors, the treatment is to never go back to repeat prayers. So the doctor, the medical community say, don't repeat the prayers. Even if he feels he said the prayer, uh, says the prayer improperly, he should not make another attempt. Never try, shouldn't try. Again, and this is where the doctors hope to save him from his distress. Stopping him, intervening from the compulsion to run out of control is perhaps the way to solve um, this, this malady. And so that's the question posed to Rabbi Asher Weiss. The halacha is that the person's first obligation to do whatever is required to find healing from this illness. Step one, even it is even permitted for him to bypass and not to do the mitzvot in the Torah. And he cites the chatam sofer, wrote of a child suffering mental illness. Whereas it was permitted to send him to an institution where he had a chance of healing, which would take him out of the category of insanity, that, that, that mental illness, and obligate him in mitzvot. Once he's in the status of being someone who's mentally ill, he would have a lesser obligation, if at all. However, this institution is non-kosher food. As we said, one may violate one Shabbat so that he can keep many Shabbat. Break one Shabbat now, save a life, save the life of a person physically, and here, clearly by extension, it is also mentally, emotionally. If you're not allowed to skip mitzvot, even a little, he will never heal. Because of his distress, this is the preferred way to go. Okay. Um, The Pnene halacha. Um, writes as well, Rabbi Muhammad writes, under normal circumstances, each person must look out for himself, for he does not care of himself who else will. This sad reality can be obscured by shallow friendships, frivolous entertainment, but in moments of clarity, when a person becomes aware of his loneliness, he feels terrible sorrow. And I bring this source because it is, it emphasizes the, in really powerful language, the emotional crisis that a person who suffers loneliness he may have friendships, but they're shallow. He may have he may have connections to people, but it's it's not there's not a depth of connection. This existential pain that accompanies a person through, through life, the pall of death that casts a shadow during life. In moments of acute sobriety, the pain is ever even greater. Loneliness leads to egotism, to caring only for oneself. One thus becomes morally empty, left without meaning in life which makes the loneliness worse as a compounding effect. Not only does he feel like there's a shadow of death, you have to take that language very seriously, but also it, it compounds that if it's not a physical death, but he is contracting, he becomes zeroes in on himself. He's not able to be able to uh, see beyond. The person who's suffering cannot see beyond that moment. and They become ever more isolated, more looking more internally. So that's that's just how seriously we need to take the, the issue of mental health in particular so it relates to loneliness. And I wanna think about, I just didn't see a lot of material but how to sort of frame concern for us for for this morning, afternoon, uh, around the issue of loneliness. How do we define it? How do we categorize it? And I, and I looked at three different models just to suggest I do want to hear afterward or another time your thoughts as to how you would categorize loneliness and the issue of loneliness, and how is it is it generally just illness, and um, is there is there a specific language, in particularly because it's it's the crisis of the day, as I said it from the outset. Um, you know, maybe we need a little bit more uh, specific language to zero in on what what how how do we view the crisis, and how do we um, become agents for change and support in this in this situation. So, I let the three. Different ideas, models. I'm gonna move through quickly. Um, so I apologize if I'm moving too fast. I don't know if Eddie, if you want to share my, my material later at some point, you're welcome to you're welcome to it. I'll, I'll make it available. The first one is um a, a type of isolation. Um it's an exilic experience that the gear the atom, the almana, the convert or the stranger, probably more accurate, the stranger, rather than the more the so post biblical reading turns that gear into a convert because it's not exactly what the gear was in biblical language that was a person who was not a citizen the the orphan the widower the widow widower people who are going through this sense of isolation that those are people who are feel this, they're irrelevant they become sort of on the outskirts of society. And that's one way to think about um, loneliness that they feel this this deep isolation. And our and, and our tradition has a tremendous amount to say about how we relate to the Gary Tamanamana to those who are the stranger, the the widow, and the orphan. I want to look at the first. So maybe a, a source we don't particularly think about too much as a source of someone who's goes through loneliness. But God says to Abraham, the very outset of the of the Jewish journey into ethical monotheism is go from your land, from your birthplace, from your father, your father's house, to the land that I will show you to the unknown. Abraham as the begins this journey into the unknown, he is he is going to encounter this deep sense of loneliness for. The chazal for the rabbis, this is one of the, the great tests of Abraham. It's the um, this going into the unknown of losing everything that's familiar. The language, if you're sensitive to the language, and I, I'm not sure if Ravavi's still listening, but a lot of this was influenced by his teaching, was that the, the the language, of course, at the chapter 12 and chapter 22, which is the story of the binding of Isaac, are are in many ways parallel. And there's a lech lecha there as well, the final test of Abraham. So here is Abram. He's not yet renamed. His first journey is to go. And his, his mission is to is to send him into a state of loneliness. He used to, to be a, a stranger, an outsider. That's what his mission is. The Hebrew, Ivri, is, um, is the person who is on the other side. So the other, he's from the other side. He's come over, crossed over the Nile. He's crossed over the Jordan. The Nile's less later. Um, so he, he crosses over um, the Jordan River into um, into Canaan. And so he is the, he is from the other place. He's he is someone who is um, not familiar. He's not at home. And so that's Abraham, Abraham and Sarah go through this experience where they are the ones who are who are isolated. They are. They don't belong. It says in, in uh Midrash Rabbah, in the Midrash, which talks about this story, is why was what was Avram going through in this experience? Says, he says, Your perfumes have good fragrance. Your name is poured out oil. So, what did what does that have to do with on the journey? What was Abraham like? Let's look each up. He was like this jug of this perfume, this incense, which was covered with a seal. they left in the corner. That's what Avraham was like. He was in a corner. He had this, this faith system. He comes to ethical monotheism through his introspection, through being chosen. But his, his, he has this... Um, This gift to offer the world, but the the odor cannot emerge. If one he moves, then the odor will spread. Go from place to place, your name will go, Avraham. That's what I'm telling you to go. You have to, I I read this text as a way to open Avraham, but also that he's going to have this exposure that he's. Um, encountering the world. They're, they're going to hear from him. He has this gift to offer. But you have to appreciate how lonely, how isolated he was living in his space. He, he will be going to a place he's isolated. He's going to be going to a place that he doesn't know. He's leaving everything familiar. But where he was, he was a, he was living an experience of isolation. Nobody knew him. Nobody had any, had any sort of fondness or appreciation or admiration for him. There was this. There was this. There, both this experience of where he was and where he's going as being this uh, kind of irrelevant and having something that that nobody cares for. Mishnah Torah, in the Rambam says, and we'll jump to the end of it. Says this is the way, of the path of repentance. This is chapter two, um, halacha number four. That a repentant person would do all these different types of things. It's all based on the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah. And he would scream out before God. He would give tzedakah. Um, he would avoid sin. He would change his name, said, I'm, gonna, I'm a new person. Uh, and everything that he would do, everything would, would be turned to uh, a different way. And the final thing that he's supposed to do um, is that he would um, he would exile himself. Why would he exile himself? Self exile brings about atonement of sin. Because this self imposed exile is an atonement. It causes him to feel diminished, becomes an anav, becomes modest, it becomes lowly of spirit. That's the that was the experience that Avram went through. Leaving everything that was familiar was a um, a humbling experience. Nobody, everybody knows him. This is this is a this is an experience of complete unknown. And that is a um, that will ultimately sort of change us or wake us up into our into reality. to get into the Elul time. Here we're starting to think about how do we how do we wake up or Atrem who rise from the slumber. So some things that we do can, this is an example of the self-imposed exile, we don't belong. So the lonely person feels they don't belong. That, that sense of loneliness, that they don't belong, is, um, is a crushing experience. Here, here it's suggested that it has, um, there's a repentant value. It can change the sinner into a saint in a way, but it also has this experience where emotionally, can be um, really painful and uh, it is is a belittling and, and um, humbling. Um, the Ramban on Lech Lecha, we look at that story as being, I'm um, trying to challenge the narrative of Avram going this, this journey decided by the Rashi, is you're going to go on this journey for yourself. Lech Lecha, the double image, go for you. It's going to be for your good, for your benefit. It's all blessing, you become a nation. You're going to be, you're going to have children. Here, you can't have kids in the, in the diaspora, but go to Canaan, you're going to be able to have children. All these things are supposed to happen to you. Rashi says that. Vein says it's not so. The rabbis interpreted the language in those texts is make for yourself an Aaron, make for yourself the trumpets of silver. The work that they're going to do that Moshe was being, it, it was being told to do was to make the ark, was to make for yourself the trumpets of silver. That was, make it for yourself, because it's not yours. It's a compensation for the fact that it's not your experience. These, the ark and the trumpets are going to be for God. And now apply that to Avram. Avram, go, it's not for you. Even when you go, your experience is not for you. The thing that you think you're doing, which is going to be ultimately personal, it's going to be illuminating, enlightening, um, self-growth, all that the Midrash talks about, this experience of of, uh, of becoming more of you, of this, this this life-changing moment, it's not for you even. So we just to deepen with the Ramban, the commodities and how he understands that this is going to not necessarily make this isn't about making you Avraham, greater. This is just this is going to be about something bigger than you, and that feeling that you don't matter in this process is is emotionally painful. Of course, the famous example of the of Ruth, where she is um, the other sort of the heroine of leaving familiarity, her her own home. And going into the unknown, and she as she as she here meets Boaz on his field, and she comes from the land of Moab. She comes back to Israel and in the lands of Judah, and she's with her family with Boaz. And she says, Why have you taken favor in my uh, favor of me? to recognize it's it's a beautiful language. You recognize me, however, I am I'm a stranger. So why do, you, why do you even bother to pay me any mind? right? So Boaz responds, I know, we know, you have a reputation. That's one part of it. But the other piece, you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth. You left them and you came to a people you don't know. You hadn't known a day before. So here, Boaz reacts to root to her um, her need for support because he recognizes how how isolated she must feel. And so we have this language in our tradition about the isolated one, the person who is feeling left out, and what that demands of me. what what is the sort of the, the empathic response here? It's that Boaz recognizes. That roots is like Abraham and Sarah. They left familiarity. They left parents. They left birthplace to go to a place that was unknown. And he, you've done the same. So how how um how much must that then shape our relationship to them? Um, in legal text in the Torah it says. I'm going to try to move even faster because I'm I'm going to be sensitive to your time. You shall celebrate in your holiday. You are to celebrate with your children, sons and daughters, servants and maidservants. And the Levite, the convert, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow who lives amongst you. the Midrash, there it says, the Levite who has no portion In your land with you. The the Levite is also included in this list because he does not have a land claim. He is someone who is landless. What is an exiled person, but a person who is landless? So the Levite is the embodiment of landlessness. His land is God, right? And so much of diaspora experience has been that the awareness of the thought, or hopeful that the thought that we are, though without land, we still have our. Connection to there's almost a, a Levitization of the entirety of the Jewish people in terms of, of connecting to um to God as our land, no matter where we found ourselves, even outside the land. But the Lev, the Levite in Israel, in ancient Israel, was landless. So he was therefore vulnerable and linked to the gear the convert, the stranger, and the orphan and the widow. So Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon says, God says, if you have. Four children were in your home, your son, and daughter, maidservant, and servant. You are to celebrate with them, your four. Any citizen of Israel? God says, I have my own four. I have the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, the widow. That's mine. They're both in the same verse. If you celebrate with your four and my four, I'll also celebrate with you in the house uh, that I've chosen in the temple. And that tells me where are those people? Where had they been? Fine, this is a holiday. This is a pilgrimage festival. Right? V'samachta on, on, on Sukkot, but where have they been the rest of the time? God says they're in my care. Who else is caring for them? So in that time, yes, you're to care for them during the festival, but the rest of the time they are alone and they are isolated. And so we have to be particularly mindful. This is raising the awareness of what's the lonely person experiencing. The Sefer Rahinoh says in, a, in our relationship to the stranger. God shows for the Jewish people to be a holy people. The chinuch is interesting because a lot of he almost has sort of karmic language that we do something in order for the karma for, the, for it to return back to us. We act in a certain way increases our likely our likeliness of of being recipients of that positive energy So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where there's a meta connected meta quality to it. The measure for measure, which is very famous in rabbinic literature, of course. But also, there's there's something maybe uh, uh, um, maybe he he draws from other faiths. He uses it very often in the language of the way he describes mitzvah. Therefore, the Jewish people have been instructed in a way of being givers of chen, of, of grace and kindness and mercy and, and sympathy. So we've been instructed to cloak ourselves, to crown ourselves with the best, qualities in our life. Think about that just for a second, without the implication of loneliness, but you're as a uh, as an ambassador of the Jewish people, you're we're tasked to try to embody to crown ourselves with the best qualities that can be. So I think very hard for myself, am I doing that? And uh, do I feel like my the people that I engage with, are we doing that? And I'm um, not always sure I live up to that. So that's very important for me to, to take stock. So, um, <inaudible> that everyone who sees, says this is verse in Ezekiel, Am Hashem these are the people of God. Look how they are. right? This is the reward of Torah. This is what it means. right? Whoever sees a person who lives this way with such nobility and distinction and, and, and self-regard, this must be a person and a faith that's worthy. And similar language, how what's the what level of kindness and, and grace and love and care for those who've left their people, right? Abraham, Root, the, the stranger. They've left their people, they've left their family, the house of the mother of Right, that they have come to find shelter under the wings of a different people, with because of, its, of their love for it. <laughs> because they've come to choose this truth and they despise that they've lived a life which is to them untrue. So how that demands a recognition of what that person gone through and what is it that I, how do I meet them? Wow, I've run out of time quickly. Okay. <laughs> uh, I wanna, I'm gonna skip a little bit. I'm sorry that if you wanna see it, i get it, will be accessed. I'm gonna go to the second uh, second idea of how do we relate to the lonely person? It's an idea of excommunication. They haven't, they're not just out, they're not isolated and vulnerable in society. They they feel like they don't fit in. They've been banished, Cain and, and Abel, that story where Cain strikes down his brother says God where is your brother and he says anokhi, am I my brother's keeper that is going to be a tell- I don't I have no relationship to him that's that is a foreshadow of what's going to happen to Cain. am I his keeper and God says the, the blood is for your brother's crying out from the from the earth and you are going to now be the earth will be cursed because so you're going to then become, because of this, you're going to, the earth will be a cursed earth because of you. You've brought curse into it by spilling your brother's blood into the soil and drenching the soil with his blood. It won't give you its strength. You've taken the strength and saturated it in the earth, and as a response, you'll get nothing from that earth. So Noah would be the one who would recover the strength, Noah, at, at the flood. Was someone who learned how to work the earth. That was that was the chin, the grace that he brought back to humanity was that he learned how to become the the nurturer and the, the reviver of the soil. But before, until that point, though, Cain is given this curse: "Navenad, you will be wandering. You will be wandering and moving and wandering. You'll have no respite." And Cain says, "It's too great for, for me to, to bear the sin." That's the the excommunication where God expels Cain for his his sin, for murder. You see it as well where Jonah is excommunicated by God. Also, he evades his responsibility to save Nineveh, to bring the message to Nineveh. And he's cast out and he's swallowed up by the, the fish. And he's praised while he's in the fish after three days. And he says in verse number three Listen, I'm here at the belly of uh, literally the belly, but a crowd from the belly of hell. Feels like he's been. Hell. You cast me into the depths. You cast me. I have been cast out by you. That's the experience of a person who feels alone feels this terrible loneliness is that I have been cast out that God sends me away. I say, I was d- driven out garush I, I I go through this divorce process this that, that I've been torn from you for your God. so so that's the feeling um, of be, of being lost at Sarua um, the the person who is the um goes through the leprosy, um, the skin lesions. Leprosy is not uh, inaccurate. Um, so the tsarua, person who goes through skin lesions, who has this this uh very strange ailment. So when the when he goes through this ailment, he's supposed to say that he is um vrosho ye safam yate ikra. That person who goes through this uh, this ailment, the skin ailment, tears his clothes, leaves his hair uncovered and wild, right? And he he covers up his upper lip, right? And he calls out, "Tamei, tamei, I am impure, I am impure." Right? And all the days of his impurity, uh, tamehhu, he is ritually pure. Badad he sits alone, outside the camp. This is. We'll get into. What some of the rabbinic idea of the person who suffers from the, this ailment, but his experience is becomes a model of the mourning process. If he leaves his hair on cover, he tears his clothes, sits out, sits low outside, isolated, right? And he, so this person, the Tsarua, is grieving. He's grieving. Going through the mourning process is an avail for himself. Right? He's, he's mourning for himself for his own loss. What's happened to him? And you understand the rabbis looked at this text and said, "What what brought about this this, this physical state for the for the sarua, the person who has this um, this skin condition?" And they linked it to to lashon hara, to evil speech, to gossip, to slander. So there's a person who brings about this um, castigation to be sent out from the community, doesn't belong because he's he himself has made himself a social outcast. He's spoken in this way, and he is now grieving and mourning for himself. And not only that, it compounds, says Arashi, he cites the um, this is a citation from the Talmud or from the Midrash Mashmia Mashmiya Shuhutameh. Why does he say Tame Tameh? Or did he declare, I'm impure. I'm the pure, so that people will hear it. We and they'll separate from him. Not only does is he is he being punished, he also has to to increase it for himself and 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 get people to abandon him, leave him. And it says this person who goes through this excommunicative process uh, cites the Rambam the laws of Talmud. What is a person who goes through Nido who is excommunicated? A person who goes through excommunication cannot clothe, cannot shave, cannot bathe his clothing, wash the clothes. He's like a mourner all the days that he's in excommunication. You don't have break bread with him, so you have to make the blessing with him. So doesn't conclude that communal experience is off limits for him. He's not considered part of the ten to make a minyan. You don't even sit near him he is set apart from the rest of the community that that's this person who goes to excommunication is is the living dead that's the that's this process the person is grieving for themselves he's in the belly of the whale right and he's he's forced to wander overcoming some sort of um, some sort of crisis in their life and that's the lonely person may experience a loneliness that I deserve. That they feel that I had this coming to me. I've done something socially in my life. I've done something in my interaction with people that I don't deserve the connection and the comedy of nation and and and, and, and people around me and family and love and all of that. It's 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 not for me. It's not allowed me. And so that's something to be sensitive of as well. Another way to think about the um, the person who goes through this um, loneliness. The, the, the verse that comes to mind here is a verse which we're, gonna, we're going to start, it's going to be the liturgy of the season, the mantra of the season, mm-hmm. my mother and my father, they've abandoned me. We're, there's a sense of this abandonment. God gathers me in. So that's, the, that's the redemptive expression. But there is this, the, it's the, it's the most complicated, difficult verse, probably the entire Bible. My mother and my father have abandoned me. I mean, what that's the that's the extreme, the person who goes to this extreme of loneliness, as it happens in, in chapter 27 of the Psalms, that's what they feel. They feel like their their mother and their father, even the, the person people closest to us, something about, um, about me, about the kind of person that I am, that's, that sends me away. I'm going to read you, um this is a, a brief excerpt of a poem from Hillel Zitlin. It's a collection of his writings. Hillel Zitlin was a very interesting, um grew, grew up in a Hasidic family in late, late 1800s in Poland, it was from the Chabad community, went to the Brestov community, was sort of lost his way a little bit and, was um, a brilliant scholar, and he went into philosophy, and he became a journalist and a poet. And uh, um, he he kind of and then he found his way back and became a, a neo Hasid. It's not he's not read so much, but he should be rediscovered in some way. So here's my part to that. But here was a poem here, he wrote, the the longing of the soul. Imri my soul speaks out to God. Halobitchani, bitchani batmelech. I am your daughter, the daughter of a king. why have you cast me out from the court of a king, to gather scraps from the field of to then to find nourishment from the sweat of my brow. And that's the question the lonely person asks as well, is this I've been cast out and I'm completely alone. And in some way, uh, that that makes the recovery that much more complicated because I've done something in some way to deserve this. And I have to undo this, um, undo this process of feeling isolated and kicked out. But the last uh, model which I want to look at is the model of victimization, the victim, the person who is a shavui, who is captive, person who is in loneliness, I think the language around, captivity might be useful as well. talked about the idea of being uh, someone who is on the outskirts of society is, is likened to the lonely person the person who's been excommunicated perhaps for some um, for some, you know, moral deficiency or failing for whatever reason it feels like they don't belong because of um because of something that that's in them and then this is, you're a person who's a victim. They've become a captive in their lives, in their loneliness, for reasons which we don't we don't understand. There's no primary reason to it. I look at the the story around Joseph, Joseph and his brothers, where the brothers can't say uh, they hate him so much because Dad loves him. And the rabbis look; like, they couldn't say a peaceful, a, a normal sort of decent word to them the rabbis are it's interesting how, how much we're willing to to forgive this type of behavior that, that the brothers couldn't say a decent word to their, to their little brother joseph because of their envy for him because of his dreams and the rabbis are so so lovely i mean if i could think this way as a parent i'd feel like i've done something amazing in my life but they say they were so honest they didn't want to in any way be two-faced Toho kabaro the inside should be like their outside if they really hated him they couldn't say well Joseph, how you doing How that would just send the wrong message. Um, so they were so honest that they couldn't, they just didn't even speak because they didn't want to in any way seem disingenuous. That's a high level. But the the simple reading of this is they hated him and couldn't say a decent word to him. Right. And so they took him and threw him into a pit and had no water into it. That's he's isolated and he's cast into the pit. Right. And the pit is a symbolic, important place for Joseph. He is the pit dweller in the, to- in the Torah. He is sent into the pit here by his brothers. right? They nearly kill him. and Instead, they sell him into servitude. And as he is suffering uh, in jail um, when he's in Egypt, he tells the butler to do him a, a, a good deed. Do me some, show me some love. He said, tell Pharaoh to bring me out of this jail. I've been implicated for the wrong reason. This is, again, later in the story where uh Eshet Potifar the claims that he was trying to sexually um assault her. And so he's sent into jail. So, he's, I've been stolen, the land of the Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew, I'm from the other side. And I've been stolen from there. But I've done nothing, I'm innocent. And they placed me here in this pit. I'm in a pit again. I have been made a captive. I've been uh I've been taken. Um, I've been taken as a captive as a prisoner against my will. I don't belong here. I've been stolen. And you need to help me. You have a moral responsibility to help me that I'm in this place where I don't belong. And just look as the Joseph story continues and it compounds. Joseph finally gets out of the pit. He becomes the viceroy in Egypt and he um, ha- marries um, Osnak, but Potiphar, and they have two children, Menashe, my, my, my Um, And he calls his name Menashe, Kinnishani Elohim. That's called Amalevit because God has told me to forget my suffering in the house of my father. The first child, the loneliness has become compounded such that he's forgotten his own family. He looks back there and it's gone. He calls his second child Ephraim. Because even in the land, in the land of my toil and my affliction, which is Egypt, where he came from, he has he's forgotten them. He's gone. Where he is now, I'm surviving despite them. And so neither where he was and neither where he is is he at home. Joseph is trapped. Even. And this is why it's so relevant for the person for the modern experience, because you can have everything and still be stuck and still feel like you're trapped in the in the malaise of loneliness. That's what Joseph feels. Where he was, he's gone from there, and he's surviving, but he not he's forgotten that he had to forget them. But even where he is now, he also doesn't belong. And it it continues when Joseph meets the brothers, he recognizes them when they come down for food because of the famine. He makes himself alien to them. Same language, that the language and root is taken. Why do you why have you recognized a stranger? Here he recognizes them and makes himself, it's a hitpah, it's reflexive. He makes himself in relationship to the brothers who are coming for food who he sees. those are my, those are my brothers. He recognizes him. He says, I will, I'm going to make myself alien to you. And he speaks with them with heart. He doesn't belong with them. He is trapped in himself. Here's the moment to reveal who he is. Could have, all the drama could have added There's a value to it. It's a different conversation. But at that moment was his chance to relieve the grief of his family, the, the, the loss that they experienced. And he's, he doesn't do it. He instead doubles down and, and he creates some sort of um, this this game to try to get Benjamin back in his in his care. The mitzvah of redeeming the mitzvah of redeeming a captive, says the Rambam it's the most important. All the mitzvah I'm not going to read through it, but it's um, Says the Proverbs, save those who are taken from from death. You save them from death when you save someone who is trapped. Um, it's uh, it's a life saving experience. And uh, the pitka Tshuva cites uh, a. This is a, a um a collect, collection of responza in the Shokhar And um he cites uh on the, the topic of Pidyon Shum the Redeeming of the Captain, he cites this, um, this uh, question by the Yad Eliyahu, who say who says if a person is obligated to put themselves into into suffic suffering do I have to endanger my life? For potentially endanger my life in order to help someone else, specifically with regards to video and to redeem and the captive. Now I'm going to save him, so do I put myself, or am I not obligated to do that? Am I obligated to, to, to potentially endanger myself? Um, if I'm not obligated, am I allowed to? Um, can I do it because I? It's my I have this this love of my friend. It's it's the this generosity of spirit. So I want to put myself in a position, well, that's okay that's well. I'm not allowed to endanger my own life. My life comes first. <laughs> so how can I I can't put, my love comes first? So I'm not supposed to put myself in danger of, of someone else. But <laughs> shiv, the responds The uh, answers citing the position of going to my moneyuff that. You do have to endanger yourself. some danger because this is a suffix. What may happen to me when I try to help someone who's in danger is a potential. but with the person who's in captivity, that's certain. So when it comes to my potential harm and their inevitable, definite harm. That has to take priority, and I have to put myself into the it. Has, there are other caveats, and I'm, this is an abridgment, um, but that's that's um, a, a really important source. The topic of how far do I need to go to save someone in that state? Okay, um, there's too much here for me to look at. Here's just some more text about you know some of the value, the spiritual value, what you can use with loneliness dealing with the topic of if not for myself, who will be for me, says Hillel. You can understand where that might relate to the idea of loneliness. Rabbi Soloveitchik's idea of um, how loneliness presses him. I'll, I'll read this text in his Lonely Man of Faith. If you haven't read it, it's an absolutely fantastic read, very powerful in the first two chapters of Genesis. Um, please do read that. It's uh, This experience of loneliness presses everything into in me into the service of God. In my desolate howling solitude, I experience a growing awareness that I, a lonely and solitary individual, is wanted and gracefully accepted by God in His transcendental loneliness and numinous solitude. Even though I am so alone and so so limited in who I am, God wants wants for me too. So it's it's a it's a um, a message to the uh, to those in need of uh, encouragement. And finally, just uh, meeting the lonely. How do I meet someone? Very famous Gemara about people who, about Rabbi Yochanan, who was sick. We're going to skip over that. Look at it; it's amazing. The interesting sort of additional commentary of why does the a saruah, why does the leper scream out for help? Tamay why does he I mean, pure says the Gemara. Another answer before we said because you got to stay away from him. That's one answer. The second answer in more cut than the Talmud says. He has to let people know, I'm in trouble, I need your help. It's not about separating as much as it's also about, come closer to me, I need you. And so that's the message that that's, um, the lonely is coming to, to um, encourage us. Um, some other messages here. I want to just final finish with a, a brief quote from the Igrotaraya, which is the letters of Rav Kook. Cook uh, wrote a whole bunch of letters, first chief rabbi of Israel, pre-state priesthood Israel, um, Rabbi Avraham Yitzhakar Cohen Cook. He um, was a student um, in Valazhin and moved to Israel as a religious as Zionist, was as a brilliant scholar and someone who wrote many correspondences. You have a chance to read, them. they're much more accessible. He's very difficult to read his text. He's a, a Kabbalist and a mystic and a philosopher. It's difficult to read his um, his essays and his longer pieces but his letters are much more accessible. And they read the humanity, and it also gets into the, the depth that he, um, he writes about in other places. So I highly recommend. taking so a look at it, this is just a couple of quotes from, he's writing to his friend, there's a regular correspondence, Moshe Chalap. Um, I don't know anything about him, but just see, he's a friend of Rav Crook. And one letter in particular, it struck me because it's in, this is volume two, letter 645. So I'd been to that point, I hadn't seen anything like this before. So I thought, wow, how interesting. So I wanted you to, to see it. Um, so he writes to him, could it be that you suffer from a broken spirit, his friend? He loves, he's a scholar, he's a, a fellow scholar, and a a, yeah, a love, a, a dear friend. Could it be as the sprouting of, of us on our land is just beginning, our children are returning, they recognize her beauty and life and her spirit. Can they be unmoored in a broken space? He doesn't understand how his friend can be this way. No, my love. A thousand times no, don't let it happen. When we suffer for the lack of fulfillment, is this not a sign that we long for wholeness? Right? When we're feeling that disconnect, we want more. It's a sign that we're spiritually alive. So the fact that you're suffering means that there's something in you that wants more. And, and honor that spirit. That's, that we are on a journey and rising into a future that's complete full of light. Don't we want to get there? The redemptive sea, the sea of beauty is a redemptive experience, was not created to make us suffer, We don't see it and say, wow, I wish that could be my life, but that's there to lift us up. Our free soul always flies to discover more transcendent beauty. But the cruel hand of our exile causes us to stumble weaken up, weaken and wither. We're struggling with the exile, with that that, that national loneliness. That's that's creating a, a lack in us. And he's he's calling for his friend to shake himself out of it, which is a lot easier said. This is doesn't take into account the um, the the medical piece of it, but that he's trying to meet his friend experiencing this terrible suffering and loneliness and sort of this brokenheartedness. How do you look at that as a possibility to to embrace something more beautiful, more uh, more hopeful in your life? Okay, I've zoomed through this. I, it was meant to be a lot harder, but. Uh, I have like three minutes for questions and I got to run, unfortunately. Okay, so I'm going to stop sharing. Okay, so it's it's the three of us here.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Yitz. It was an amazing Torah class today. This uh, morning or evening or wherever you're watching from, we uh, appreciate you. Um, Our our audience loves uh, coming into our learning library. That's where we have the majority of our folks who thrive on our great, phenomenal Torah. And now we get to add such a phenomenal Torah, um, especially I'm really thinking about this, uh, Rabbi, as we're going into the month of Elul of what are people feeling right now in loneliness when it comes to high holidays folks who don't have mishpacha folks who don't have a community that welcomes them a community to feel to feel in 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 unison in, in, in a large community I, I i'm really feeling for those folks right now and uh, I, I think that as Jews, I think that we should really think about those folks who don't have access to being with somebody during the chagim. And um, I think we should really think internally of how um, we can bring more folks into community, especially on on high holidays. Thank you so so much, Rabbi Iss. I appreciate you.
1: Pleasure.
0: All, all right. Care. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Take care. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.